TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Monday afternoon. We are recapping an East Carolina loss, a 13-10 loss to the Tulane Green Wave. It is a reaction Monday, and as always, we're taking your comments, your calls, your questions, your concerns here on 94.3 The Game. If you would like to call in, the number is 252-561-8255. Again, that number is 252-561-8255. Philip Pilkington is producing today's program. He will get you on the air. Uh, we're in studio today, 94.3 The Game, so we'll get you on the air talk to you if you want to call in. If you got a comment on YouTube or Facebook and you're watching live, drop it there. We will address that as well. Throughout the show, we got several comments on Twitter that we're going to get to over the next uh, hour as people are still mad at the offense, understandably so. And Philip Pilkington is answering the phone, so we'll get that caller on here shortly. It's just, look, 13-10, guys fought valiantly once again. You can't question the team's heart. You can't really question the team's culture at this point. I think Mike Houston has done a great job holding it together. But it's kind of been a broken record, so to speak. Defense plays well enough for you to win. Offense can't get the score in the end. Can't do anything as far as after the first quarter, 47 yards after the first quarter. Just kind of mind-numbing to a degree. So 13-10 is the loss. East Carolina falls to 1-8 and eight on the season. All right, let's get to our first caller. We've got Cameron. He is uh, holding on. Cameron, what's going on? Even you know, just enjoying the day from my nice and comfy recliner listening to your show. Um, just, just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Mike Houston's calling out the fans, per se, and some of their comments. And do you feel in the past five years, you feel that Mike Houston could have done a better job to kind of interact with the fans? I feel like over the past few years, he's kind of made some slight comments about the fan base. Uh, it's just kind of brutal to see when he's only 18 and 32 through his five years against FBS programs. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I don't feel like he's done a great job of kind of, kind of – uh, I guess, interacting and engaging with the Pirate fans. I uh, just would love to hear your thoughts on that. So I appreciate the call, Cameron. I, I, I've got two trains of thought here. Um, <clears throat> one, I definitely understand how people took it, how they did as far as you know. his comment basically said, to, I asked the question about being so close in games, six of eight games now to you know where it's been a one-score game in the fourth quarter that they've lost. You know, you can – Take that however you want to. He he talked about how it, it shows how close they are, and he said, you know, fans, he's he sure there's a fan sitting somewhere in a, a recliner with hate in their heart saying all these things. And, look, I think there are people that do have hate in their heart. I think those people are very few, and the majority of the vocal fans that are letting their feelings known are just passionate and frustrated. So I feel like he is trying to more address the – true negative fans that are, I don't know, tweeting directly at him or tweeting directly at Rajay Harris or posting directly on Instagram on the ECU Pirate football page and bashing the players or coaches. I think those are very few people, but I think those are the guys he's addressing with those comments. And I think, unfortunately, the the casual fan, or not the casual fan, the average fan, I should say, sees it as 
coming after them, and maybe that's not really where he's going. Now, I do think also, Cameron, to your point, maybe at that at that point at one and eight, maybe you just don't make the comment at all, so it can't be misconstrued. He did also in his opening statement, one of his first things he said was he thought he thanked the stadium for showing up. He thanked the students for showing up, providing the atmosphere. So like he did also thank the fans. So I think a lot of people have latched onto that comment and I understand why. And I do think there have been times where he hasn't done the best job as far as, you know, addressing that aspect of things. But it's just a fine line, man. When you're losing games, anything you say is going to be picked apart. And I think that's what's happening right now. And uh, maybe next time he just chooses not to address the fans at all and just, you know, more so answers the question. But that, you know, he was he was emotional too after the game. It was as emotional as we've seen him after the game, Cameron. So I feel like he was trying to, I don't know, maybe fire up his players a little bit. And maybe he's going after more of that fan who's saying some degradable things more so than the people who are passionate and just, you know, that that are voicing their opinion that kind of want some change because you're one and eight. So, I don't know, that's my take on it, Cameron. Um, but I can understand how people are, are seeing it other ways as well. Uh, not sure if you're still there or not, but I appreciate the call, Cameron. All right, if you want to call in, 252-561-8255 is the number. And, Philip, we did get several comments on Twitter as well, kind of about that. And uh, somebody posted a, a gif of them sitting back in their recliner. So, I don't know. What did you make of the the Mike Houston comments? Did you, did you make anything more of it than, you know, than what I just said there? Do you think it's fair that people are kind of picking it apart? I mean, kind of like you mentioned, you know, when you're, when you're one and eight or whatever the team is, everything is going to be taken stronger than it should be, especially when they, it can be viewed poorly. Um I didn't read too much into it. Look, you know, he's got to protect his team. It's the same reason that, you know, Dave Dorn went out and said what he said about Steve Smith, right? You've got to protect your team. He's doing his job. At the end of the day, yes, you need the fans there. You need the donors to keep giving money. But if you don't defend your team and the locker room turns on you, it's going to go – you're going to go down a hole that you can't climb out of. And – you know, Mike Houston has always been a block out the outside noise, people inside this wall's first kind of head coach. I respect that. I think that there was nothing more than what I just mentioned right there. That was him defending his team, defending the guys inside those walls. And, you know, if people want to take it the way they took it, then, you know, you have your own rights to, to interpret things the way you want to interpret them. You know, we live in America. Your freedom of speech, freedom of thought, go right ahead. But uh, I'm, I just didn't read too much into it. Stephen Allen on Facebook says, have not heard anyone bash the players. Well, I, I've seen comments, and I've seen – look, more of it has been directed at the head coach, the offensive coordinator, uh, the coaches, I would say. But, look, I've seen people say, hey, the left tackle, and they'll call him out by name. He sucks. He shouldn't be playing. They'll say Rajay Harris – uh, has whatever naked pictures of, of Mike Houston. That's why he's playing. If that's not bashing the players, then I don't I don't know what is. I mean, so there have been people that have taken shots at the players. You know, somebody who designed the jerseys, the throwback unis. Uh, you know, Will Treadway said the players at one point this year didn't deserve to wear them based on how they were playing. So there have been shots at the players too. There have been shots at everybody. You're one and eight. People are going to be emotional. Uh, I, I do think the majority of the criticism has come towards the coaches from the majority of fans, but I, I've seen comments on Instagram, Twitter. You know, we post final scores, calling the players bums or whatever. So, like, there there is some of that out there. 
Um, but I don't think it's the majority. But there has definitely been some some shots at the players. Um, Chase Braswell says it's true, but you also don't need to alienate the fan base. Alumni and fans ultimately are the money. And so there is a fine line there. I mean, it's just been it's just been one of those things. I've never had to analyze or answer so many questions about what a coach says after the game, but it comes with the territory when you're one and eight. People need something to to latch on to, to think about. It's uh you know, the problem is, too, there's been times where they've called Mike Houston too robotic after games, talking about we need to execute better, we need to do this, make the play here there. I thought really for the first time in several weeks we saw him very emotional uh, after a home loss, and I thought he spoke more from the heart, and then that led to people not liking some of the comments as well. So it's just – it's one of those things where um, – it's one of those things where it's just tough. when you're When you're losing games – it's going to be a uh, tough, tough situation. Ed two on Facebook says ninety four three does not allow open discussion. Ed, what do you think we're having right now? Is this not open discussion? Call in, Ed, if you want to talk. Uh, we'll be glad to take your call. Um, so I don't know. Again, call, uh, phone number is two five two five six one eight two five five. We have a reaction Monday show every Monday where we react and we have open discussion. So I don't know what you're talking about, Ed. Um. Again, ECU loses 13-10 to Tulane. They are 1-8 on the season. Let's get to some of these comments as well. By the way, it is basketball. Philip, basketball is back. East Carolina will open the season tonight, 7 o'clock against Ferrum. The men will. The women play at Elon. So we do have basketball to look forward to. We might talk about that at some point. But are you excited for some hoops? Oh, yeah. You know, I totally forgot to get my laptop out and start watching basketball right now. There's There's three games already going on. It's three mid-majors playing against schools you've never heard of, but college basketball's back, baby. We are in the Tar Heel State where basketball reigns premium always. I'm excited. Michael Jones on YouTube says, no question regarding football. Everyone needs to be fired. Thank God for basketball. He also says, are the ones with hate in their hearts the ones who also fly kites? Maybe so, Michael. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll have to ask Coach Houston if he's – you know, tying those two people together. Maybe people are flying kites on a recliner. I mean, that seems like a pretty leisurely activity. Um, Stephen Allen says on Facebook, can we hire an offensive coordinator with autonomy? And we have uh, Bob saying, anyone asked about Jeter in the postgame? We did not ask about true freshman quarterback Raheem Jeter in the postgame, Bob. It was asked last week. It's been asked the past two weeks. We've, we've asked as the media kind of to, hey, Coach Mike Houston, do you look at getting in Raheem Jeter anymore? And then Donnie Kirkpatrick was asked as well. And it's it's one of those things where you don't want to end up in the situation you are now where you don't get the quarterback any playing time. And so I understand where people are coming from. And then you, you go into next year, you don't know what you have. But you also have a pretty <clears throat> porous offensive line right now some missing pieces around him, so you have to pick your spots. I would like to see him maybe get a drive or two here or there just to get some experience. Maybe, if not get the whole game, maybe get some live action. The other thing, too, is the coaches are still going to coach to win. They're going to play to win, and right now Alex Flynn gives him the best chance to win. Nobody wants to go 1-11, so people can say there's nothing to play for, and from a bowl perspective, there's not. But there is a big difference between going 1-11 and and 3-9, and so you know, maybe the coaches feel like they're coaching for their job security at this point. And so they're going to put the quarterback on them 
on the field to give them the best chance there. And it, if that's not Raheem Jeter, then it's probably not going to be him. But I do agree that it would be nice to at least get him some series. And we've talked about how complicated Navy's defense is. That would be a tough area for him to start. If you're going to pick a game for him to start, Tulsa in the finale would make sense. It's at home. You're going to have a little bit less pressure there as far as the defense you're facing. It's not as good of a defense, but that's uh, that's just one of those things the coaches will have to decide. Chase says, I mean, at this point, Jeter makes sense because he won't burn up his red shirt, and he, they're coaching for security and pride. So there's a lot of factors at play there uh, as far as you know whether Raheem Jeter should play or not in these final three games, but you're right in terms of if he plays the final three games, he will still redshirt, so you don't have to worry about the eligibility at this point. Uh, Cameron on Facebook says, Dan Mullen did more to engage with the fan base in two days than Mike Houston has done in five years. Uh, Justice wants to know who should ECU target for the next head coach. We'll have that conversation if it if it comes up. I mean, Mike Houston still has three years left on his deal, and there's three games left this season and three years left after this. So, I mean, that's... You know, not really a conversation until that move would be made. So, uh, CBA says, do you worry about what offensive coordinator we can bring in with Houston's seat most likely being very hot next year? Look, Donnie Kirkpatrick is making over $400,000 right now. There is a lot of quality offensive coaches in the country that would bet on themselves and make that kind of money and have the chance to further their career. So I don't, Look, Mike Houston is very tied in if it comes down to making an offensive coordinator change, which, I mean, to me, all signs point to that happening, given what we've seen. I think he's going to make a very quality hire, and he's he did the same thing with the defense. Uh, he's very tied in to the coaching community. He's got great connections, so I feel like he would make a quality hire, and I think you can get a number of candidates to come here for that paycheck. There's a lot of coaches that are very more, very qualified making a lot less. So I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue as people think. Maybe you don't get your top, top of the line, sexy name, but you can get a very good coach. There's no doubt about that. All right. Again, if you want to call in 252-561-8255. Again, Philip, this has turned into more of these reaction shows. It's more big picture at this point, and I understand why you're one and eight. People want to talk about the future. Uh, we are going to have a number of NIL discussion guests, I should say, over the coming weeks, starting with Doug Gomes this Thursday. We're really going to hit on what needs to happen for East Carolina, you know, regardless of the coaching situation or what have you. What needs to happen for East Carolina to compete specifically in the American Athletic Conference? What do they need to do from a money standpoint this offseason to improve and get better to competing at conference championships. And I understand there's a lot that goes into that discussion. Why did ECU fail this year in football? It's not just NIL. But in terms of fixing it going forward and improving in that space, we're going to have that discussion because it's needed. We're also going to have a Q&A on Hoist the Colors with Lance Clark from the Clark family. They've given millions to ECU Athletics. That will be up on Hoist the Colors tomorrow kind of stressing the importance of NIL in this ever-changing landscape. So let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll continue to run through your comments, your discussion on social media. And again, if you want to call in, the number is 252-561-8255. 252-561-8255. We'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. 
Voice of Colors on a Reaction Monday. We are taking calls. It is an open discussion forum. We had uh, Ed Ed on Facebook says, why doesn't 94.3 The Game allow open discussion? Ed, this is an open discussion show. Call in if you want to, 252-561-8255. We'll, we'll talk about anything. NIL, coaches firing, new offensive coordinator, whatever, man. Get it off your chest. We'll discuss it. I try to bring some balance to the conversation, but I understand people are mad. The team is 1-8. and eight. Uh, It's frustrating for everybody, and so I get it. All right, let's get to more of your comments here on social media. We'll start with Twitter. We have a uh, comment from Ryan. He says, I'm not in the camp of firing John Gilbert, the athletic director, because I think he is good, but I think we need to hear from him this week with something. It's been far too long without comment from his office, and that is becoming more unsettling by the day. For the fan base, we've we've talked about this a lot too, Philip. You know, they they made the uh, I think it was after the app game, zero and three start. There was a a public address from John Gilbert where he said the expectations are high and they weren't being met, and the fan base, you know, the fan base has high expectations, and it's just something where what more can you say other than maybe re reiterate the same message at this point. So I, I don't know. I think he will say something after the season. I just don't think anything he says right now is going to really change that message. Well, you know, and he came on our Bushlight Pirate Game Day countdown uh, two weeks ago, maybe. It was, I think it was the most recent home game other than this past week. And, um, you know, he kind of reiterated, the, you know, the same thing. Like, you know, at the end of the day, how much can you say? Because actions speak louder than words, and clearly actions are going to be made, but they're not being made right now, and, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinions to whether or not they think it should be made right now or made, you know, at the end of the season. But, I mean, words are just words. I mean, he can come out and talk, but then if he says stuff, that could, you know, deflect coaches from wanting to come here in the future if he says the wrong thing so he's got to be mindful of what he says how much he talks and you know i think sometimes you know fans don't like the silence but i think it's the most professional thing to do at this time because i mean look we all expected to be in a bowl game or at least not you know oh and eight against fbs competition and, and john knows or the fans know that john knows that but yeah, like you said, what more can he do other than double down on his previous statement? Um, I think they're frustrated because there hasn't been a statement in so long, and probably the reason that he did make the statement as early as he did was because of that whole Twitter post. I think that's kind of drove that. I think the statement that came out would have came out two or three weeks later had that Twitter post not happened, and then people wouldn't be as upset that he hasn't said anything in a while, so that might have a little bit to do with it as well. Yeah, for those unfamiliar, he's referencing kind of there was a post uh, from a podcast about his post-game conversation with Mike Houston in the uh, kind of a private conversation that was made a little public. So that was then, you know, the the letter followed a few days after that. Uh, Preston wants to know, are, am I worried about Marlon Gunn transferring? Um, for me, I mean, look, offensively, I think there's going to be changes uh, players in and out. I mean, I can't get inside a, a, a running back's head. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. That my biggest problem with, with Saturday is you had, you had 43 snaps offensively, and people wanted to see more of Gerald Green. Rajah Harris was running well. I mean, he was averaging four or five yards a carry, and you only had seven offensive series, so it's hard to get four or five running backs in the game. But look, you only have one ball. 
Uh, they've tried to work Marlin in this year. It just hasn't been been able to get him going, so it's been frustrating. All right, we got another caller, Mike, on the line. Mike, how's it going? Going well, Stephen. Stephen, hope it is for you and Philip as well. Um, with Mike Houston, I don't know what can be said that hasn't already been said. Uh, going down a little bit of a different road, the problem that I have with it is two games into the season, he, he's called out the, the fans for, you know, if they're panicking, you know, they shouldn't be panicking by now. And then this last one, he said that people in recliners saying hateful things. Uh, it really sounds like a lot of deflection to me. I mean, you hear these other coaches come out and say, hey, you know, this is on me. I, I've got to get it fixed. And they're really downtrodden in their press conferences. But it's almost like Houston comes out and, and attacks the fans. The, the fans weren't panicking. They're passionate. Uh, because of, of the program, and they know what the program can do, and it's obviously not living up to those expectations. So, to me, I'd like him, like to see him take a little more accountability uh, than the same coach speak every week, great week of practice, kids play hard. We know all that. The kids aren't going out there trying to crap the bed and only gain 47 yards in, in three quarters. We understand that. But, Mike, what are you going to do to fix it? There, there seems to be no plan to fix it. The panic button is long gone. Now the next question is – What's going to fix it? And there's no clear path to that. I think if there was some answers there of what was going to be next and, and the future looks bright, then, then we could speak to that. But right now, they're, they're, this season is shot, and really nothing is looking good right now for, for next year. Nothing's really encouraging. So that's the problem I have, him doing deflection. Uh, hey, we're all fans, and, and – the reason why we are as upset as we are is because we are passionate about the program, know what it can do, seen what it can do, and currently it's not doing that. And if it's not doing that, issues expected to have up and down years, okay, maybe not necessarily in year five, but what are we going to do to fix it? And currently there's no plan, at least that the public can see, to fix it. That's my comment there. Another question I have is I know Javis Bonds wasn't a – uh, significant injury, but we haven't seen him since the injury. Uh, looking for an update on him as well. Uh, and I'll hang up and listen. Appreciate you guys taking my call. Mike, thanks for the call. Uh, great thoughts. Um, I think first on the, the plan to fix it, I think I, I do agree with that. There has to be a clear and concise message at some point, and it feels like that isn't going to come until after the season at this point because for whatever reason, they don't want to make the, the offensive changes now. I think we all know where it's heading, given the offensive production, given the record. If there's no, hey, this is this is where we messed up. This is what we have to do to fix it. This is what we're going to do to fix it after the season, which to me is more of how I see Mike Houston addressing things. I don't think he's a guy who wants to make those kind of big picture statements in the middle of the season. So I think those will come at some point. And I know people want to hear them now, but I do think it'll be at the end of the season. So hopefully we hear it then uh, and I think we will but as far as um, your other comments I mean I, I do agree with them uh, as far as the frustration people are passionate and they're just frustrated and then as far as Javius Bond so he got hurt opening kickoff SMU he has not played obviously didn't play in that game and then I think the three games since then he did return to practice on a limited basis last week I would say questionable for this game against FAU and probably will be back at some point uh, at the very end of the year at the least. So could be back for FAU, and I think they've missed him 
a lot more than they uh, than they realize because they just have such little explosiveness right now offensively. I think that's that's been an issue, and it uh, hurts not to have your most explosive running back for three, four games in conference, and uh, they've missed him. It has been good to see Gerald Green get going, but uh, they definitely could use Javius Bond. It's a shame right now if, if he hadn't only played – if he had only played in four games, I would say redshirt him, but he had played in six games, and so you can't do that right now. So if you can get him back at some point, you get him back. All right, 252-561-8255 is the calling number. Thanks again, Mike, for calling in to the show. Uh, Craig Littlefield on YouTube says, will we see Jeter at all QB? We kind of addressed that as far as you know, maybe a series here or there, but it doesn't seem like he's going to start, at least not right now. The coaches want to win the games. I've kind of made the argument, as have others, for the Tulsa game, if it comes down to that. Williams says, we had some success early on with some post routes and slants. Then it seems like we completely abandoned that. Frustrating, to say the least. So what I noticed was Tulane came out pretty aggressive, getting downhill defensively. And in the past, they've been more of a rush 3-4, drop 8, 7-8 team. And I think after they got burned on some of those RPO reads and those slants and posts early in the game, they started dropping those guys, those linebackers, into those windows. And at that point, ECU didn't really have an answer. And when they did late in the game, they went back to that look. Jalen Johnson on third and six. Jalen couldn't make the contested catch. That was the last time ECU had the ball. And then they did bring pressure on fourth down, the pressure – uh, led to the incomplete pass. And that was the last time ECU touched the ball with seven minutes left in the game. So um, definitely Tulane made adjustments. ECU did not make the correct adjustments back. And we've just now seen this for a couple games now in the last few where you see early offensive success and then the defense kind of figures out how to address it. And that's a concern as well. I mean, you know, the offense doesn't have great talent right now. And I think too, once the early script gets figured out then it seems to revert back to the same thing so it's just like we're beating a dead horse with the offense right now it is it is what it is um craig says not playing backup quarterbacks is a big reason why we're in this mess and i agree i mean we we talked about that earlier if you could have played mason garcia more in the past maybe you figure out what you have there more and uh you come into this season with a little bit better of a plan philip what did you make of the fourth and seven there was a comment we had here let's see if i can find it on twitter or the fourth and sixth, I should say. John Moody says what the coaching staff did to those players Saturday night was criminal. They put our defense in a horrible position when they went for it on fourth down from the 45-yard line. They should have punted like they did versus SMU and pinned Tulane deep. Again, it was a one-score game, 13-10 at the time, 7-30 to go or so. Jalen Johnson had just couldn't complete that catch across the middle, and it was fourth and sixth. They went for it there. Did you agree with that decision? What did you make of that call by Mike Houston to, to go for it there rather than punt? You know, at the time I was, you know, kind of wanting to punt, pin them deep, try and flip the field. Or I guess we already had the field position, you know, but hope to get the ball back in roughly the same spot. But, you know, I know it was a slightly different situation against SMU, but, you know, people criticized him punting there. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you lose the game – Every decision you make is going to be criticized, on when, especially when it comes to fourth downs, two-point conversions, all that. So, you know, I, I would have rather seen him punt it. But, you know, at the end of the day, the defense had been playing phenomenal. And, I mean, they had only let up 13 points at that point. You would think you'd get the ball back there. And, yeah, the unfortunate thing is it's probably a crap field position. You have to drive the length of the field. But, 
if they think they've got something, you know, look, you know, we talk about with Steve Logan all the time. Sometimes your gut feeling is just what you got to go with. And if Coach Houston felt like in his gut that that was going to give his team the best chance to win, you know, he's the one that's got to answer those questions. And, you know, I, I shouldn't say who are we to question him because he, he, you know, we are people who pay for tickets, don't money, whatever. So we should question him the fact that, you know, we deserve an answer on his mindset, but I don't think we should question him the fact that say he was wrong because 50% of us would have done the same thing and 50% of us would have done the opposite. And whoever's in that situation, unfortunately, has to answer to the other 50%. And, you know, that's part of the job. He knew that when he decided to be a head football coach. So, yeah, I personally would have punted it, but I've always been more conservative when it comes to going fourth on fourth down. You know, I grew up watching more NFL than I did college, where really the only time you go fourth on fourth down is when you absolutely have to. But uh, that's just my mindset. But uh, at the end of the day, he makes the big bucks, and it's, you know, He's got to make those decisions, and then he's got to answer for his decisions. So, you know, I guess it is what it is. I know it's kind of a roundabout, crappy answer, but that's how I feel. It, it really, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's tw- hindsight's twenty twenty, and uh, you can make an argument for and against it pretty, pretty clearly. You know, for going for it, you had seven offensive possessions all game. Tulane, what they do is they milk the clock. They go pretty slow. They're a run-heavy football team. What did they end up doing after getting the stop? They ran the final 7-17 of the clock out. They may have done the same exact thing if you pin them deep because they pretty much were pretty conservative even getting the ball at the 46. I mean, they ran the ball for the most part, and they threw it a couple of times, but it was a pretty conservative final drive. ECU couldn't get the stop there. So I don't necessarily think it makes a, a huge difference in their play calling either way. But the low amount of possessions, of course, you can say – we need to go for it here. This might be the last time we have a shot like this. The other side of it is, hey, your defense is playing well. If you pin them back, maybe they do come out ultra conservative. Maybe you do have the crowd behind you in the boneyard, and you get a stop there at three and out, and you get the ball back with good field position. But for me, you know, I don't know. I don't think you win the game either way. I mean, the way the offense was performing, you didn't make the catch on third down. To me, that's the bigger issue I have. You had the play on third down. You get an up and receiver. You get the play. That puts you in field goal range. The play wasn't made. Tulane on their next series, they make the play. They make the contested catch on the third down to win the game. Like, you know, we can talk about the fourth down call, and I get it. You've got fans who say if you don't go for it and you punt it, they'll reference Steve Logan saying at ECU you go for it every time. Uh, and then you have fans who say you should punt it there when you don't when you go for it and don't get it. So it's just one of those things you're always going to be criticized, as Philip said, when you lose. And I understand that as well because, look, when I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, should they really be going for this with how good the defense is playing? I mean, the odds of getting fourth and six with the way the offense was going were pretty pretty low, I feel like. Um, and that's what makes that third down play, not making the play there, so frustrating because the play was there to be made. And it just uh, it's just another what could have been. And in the end of the day, it's another loss. And uh, as Craig Littlefield says on YouTube, if you can't score, you can't score. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about ECU. Go for it, punt it, whatever. Like, the offense is just not scoring enough points. And it's just, at the end of the day, that's what the whole discussion comes back to. The offense is just quite sad this year. And when you're scoring one touchdown a game, you just can't win games. And every other detail of the game or every coaching decision is going to get scrutinized because it's so magnified. Because you're always like one score away that you can't get. 
So I don't know. It, it's just uh, it's frustrating. All right, let's get our, our second break in. We'll come back. We will continue on answering your questions, your comments, your concerns. Again, if you want to call in, the number is 252-561-8255. 252-561-8255. This is a Reaction Monday on Hoist the Colors. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this? On 94.3 The Game. Reaction Monday on Hoist the Colors. ECU loses to Tulane 13-10. to We are taking a lot of comments. Uh discussion on social media if you want to call in talk firsthand 252-561-8255 is the number philip pilkington is producing all right let's get to more of these comments on twitter uh pirate 24 7 says keep waiting for the offense to take a few risks in an effort to spark things i'm still shocked we have not seen a real trick play through nine games one and eight i don't know what there is to lose i guess they just haven't been in position they feel like to try it i, I just don't I don't really understand that. Uh, we've seen no reverse pass, or at least maybe they maybe they've tried to go to it and it just didn't work. It wasn't blocked well enough to even set it up. But it just it feels like it's kind of crazy. We haven't seen a trick play or a fake punt or anything from a team that's one and eight. But that's you know that is what it is right now. A um, few other comments here. Dennis Barber says it's a shame a great effort by defense was wasted by our ineptitude on offense after the first quarter. Blake Harrell. And the defensive staff are the only ones earning their pay this year. Changing OC isn't the answer unless the head coach changes his offensive philosophy. So we've gotten a lot of comments today, Philip, about, hey, if there is an OC change, can we make the change and give the offensive coordinator full control, basically, of the offense? Which I think is a fair question. I I think Donnie Kirkpatrick, to a degree, has a – I know he's got a large say on what the offense does. I mean, Mike Houston has a triple option background. He ran the option – Lenore Ryan, the Citadel, and he hired Donnie to run the spread at James Madison. And I think that's kind of been Donnie's deal. I mean, he's running the offense. So I would think if there is an OC change, the offensive coordinator is going to have a large say. And two, the offensive coordinator is going to bring in the quarterback. I mean, you bring in an offensive coordinator for his system, he's going to be in charge of identifying the quarterback. Of course, Coach Houston, he's the head coach. He will have to sign off on it and have a say, but you want to hire an offensive coordinator that knows exactly what type of quarterback he wants. What we've seen with this staff in terms of quarterback recruiting and evaluation and development, quite frankly, outside of developing Holt Naylor's, who signed with Scotty Montgomery, has not been good enough. And, you know, Raheem Jeter, to be determined, but I don't think he's the answer right now. So, I think that's a fair question, and I do think that ultimately will be what happens because Mike Houston is, is a defensive coach, and maybe he does have a say in the, you know, the balance of how things would optimally like to work out. But he's not going to turn down the opportunity to score points every Saturday. No, and also, you know, we're living in an era of football where offense it kind of has transitioned to offense wins championships. And I know you still got to stop guys, so I'm not really trying to change the saying there. But my point in bringing that up is. Yes, I do think the new OC will have, you know, 99.9% control. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, you know, it's Mike Houston's football team. He's got to sign off on it. He's the head coach. But he's a defensive-minded guy. And usually when you see defensive-minded head coaches, the OC has a lot of power. You know, when it's a relationship like, you know, Coach Logan, Doug Martin, you know, maybe Doug Martin didn't have as much power just solely because, you know, 
Logan was such an offensive-minded guy, and that's probably how it maybe is on our defensive side of the ball. So you would like to think that, yeah, the guy would have, whoever that guy is, is going to have you know complete control or damn near close to complete control. And on top of it, like I said, it's just an era of football where offense is so important. Offense has evolved tremendously in the last few years, really in the last 10 to 20. I mean, you know, I grew up, I was born in 98, you know, when I was a kid, every NFL team had a fullback. You know, you had the Mike Allstotts and Lorenzo Neals of the world that were some of the best players in the NFL, and uh, it's definitely evolved from that. And, you know, the last time Mike Houston was not a sole defensive guy was, you know, when that offense was being ran in this league. And obviously now it's spread 11 personnel or, you know, sometimes even 10 personnel. So I really do think there will be full, complete, con- you know, control by the new uh, whoever the new OC is. Chase Braswell says power football wins championships these days. He references North Dakota State, Georgia, Bama, et cetera. All powerhouse, smash mouth, none of this spread crap. Those teams are still running spread, though. I mean, look, they do go under center, and they do get the linemen, especially Georgia and Bama. North Dakota State gets some pretty premier talent for the FCS ranks, but you got to have a dominant offensive line to consistently win with that formula. And at East Carolina, look, I've covered this program long enough to know you are not going to have that offensive line year in and year out given the offensive lineman you can recruit here to consistently win at a high level doing that type. So you can be a balanced spread team. I mean, when Lincoln Riley was running this offense and they were racking up yards, you had a back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher because everything they did stressed you horizontally, vertically, which opened up the running game, and they were knocking off power teams year in and year out with that style of play. And, you know, we're a win or two away from competing for a Conference USA or American Championship. So they were closer running that style than what ECU has been able to do to this point under, you know, this offensive style. So I think different places, you got to win in different ways. And it's going to be very hard to recruit a championship-level offensive line with via smash mouth football year in and year out. You might have a formula like last year where you get a couple of guys who can play at that level and you find a, you know, once in a 10 year back like Keaton Mitchell and it works. But even then it's hard to replicate that as we're seeing this year. And so I think you really have to look at the offensive philosophy and say, where do we need to go to where, Hey, we still want to be balanced, but how can we be more effective in establishing? And you can be a physical spread team, it's not like ECU is, is under center right now. I mean, they're technically a spread RPO team. It just doesn't look very good because it's just so painful to watch. So there has to be a, uh, a balance to that, Chase, is what my, my answer would be on uh, kind of what offense you're running here. As far as uh, more comments, Shane says, feel like we could have four to five wins at this point with a reasonable offense. Also, a lot of talk on shows about playing Jeter from this point on. Just don't think you'll see it. I feel like Coach Houston is coaching for his job and just trying to win enough to be here next year. We talked about that earlier. I think Alex Flynn gives you the best chance to win right now. Um, Jeff Eli says, in this season of thankfulness, I'm grateful that the cold, dark wasteland between fall and spring that is called basketball season has a legitimate reason for optimism and hopeful that it can erase some of the pain from a one-win football campaign. Yep, Pirate men and women tipping off tonight. The men will host Ferrum College, and the ladies will take on Elon on the road uh, tonight on the road for, for their season opener. Chris Lehman on Facebook says, The team played hard. Props to the boys on the field. Holding any team to 13 points should be enough to win. 
Tulane made adjustments after our initial offensive drives, and ECU failed to adjust. That's on coaching. Coach Houston needs to make some major decisions on offense to be successful next year. And uh, we had somebody ask, Philip about if Michael Pratt were the quarterback at ECU, how many wins would this team have? And, you know, that's a, I think it's a good question. Obviously, it's hypothetical. I'm never big on hypothetical questions, but – to me, it, it just felt like in the fourth quarter, despite ECU being in all these games, and I've sensed zero belief that ECU is like actually going to, hey, make the drive here, make the play here to win the game. And I think a lot of that, no offense to the quarterbacks on the roster, but a lot of that goes to your teammates believing in the guy behind center saying, all right, we got our guy. He's going to go win the game right here, right now. And we haven't seen that a single time from ECU this year. So if you have a guy like Michael Pratt, you probably have four, five, six wins, and that's what having a game-changing quarterback can do, and that's why I think, as, as nobody wants to hear it, I don't think this team is that far away if you can find that quarterback, which is harder said than done, or easier said than done, but um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that, how, how much a single quarterback with this personnel could change things? You know, I think it would change it to an extent. You know, we started to remember some of the statistics you like to bring up about how bad the offensive line's been. I've never seen an FBS program drop as many footballs that hit them right between the numbers as this team. So there's still going to be some drives that were unsuccessful that would have still just had been as unsuccessful. But now we got to talk about games. How many games would you have won? That's a tough one. You know, I think if Michael Pratt's on your team, not the other team last week, okay, that's one win. And then obviously you think you beat Charlotte, maybe Marshall, and a couple other things. But, you know, like you said, a lot of the belief could affect those other position groups we're talking about, but it, it's hard to put an exact number on it in this hypothetical situation. But, you know, to your point, to your tweet that you made, you know, a couple days ago where it's like, was it six of the last eight games they've had the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to take the lead and haven't done it? Yeah, there's definitely some more belief in those guys. I'm not saying that they dislike Alex or Mason or whoever, but if you've got a proven starter who's led multiple game-winning drives, there's a reason guys get reputations for being great come from behind quarterbacks. They do it a couple times on their own, and then guys buy in – to, to do it after, you know, after they've already done it successfully. So, I mean, you know, does the belief in Joe Montana happen in Super Bowl twenty three if he had not already led a handful of last-second comeback drives? You know, I don't know. But he marches them 93 yards, and he hits Taylor on the backside, and, you know, they win the Super Bowl. So, I don't know. You know, I, I think you're you're probably at least at five, maybe at six. Somebody else wants to know if Holden Ayers was a quarterback, what would our record be? I think it's the same conversation, so we'll just kind of leave it there. But, yeah, you don't have the quarterback. You know, you don't have a several offensive pieces. The offense is a problem. We all know it. And, unfortunately, it's not going to be able to get fixed until starting really in December. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We will take some final comments here. We got a few on Facebook about, you know, comparing ECU to Tulane from a couple years ago when they went 2-10. and We'll talk about that, if that's a realistic turnaround and more on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Reaction Monday. All right, let's go. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Drink up, me, Aussie Joe Ho. One ninety-four-three, the game. It's a Reaction Monday here on Hoist the Colors, ninety-four-three, the game. Got a few minutes left, recapping the thirteen-ten loss to the Tulane Green Wave, 
East Carolina fans. Very active, as always, in the comments section. Appreciate everybody for following along today. Got a couple comments here about the receivers. Grant says we get pretty tough on the receivers. However, receivers are going to have drops. I just think the drops are more emphasized because they're only getting halfway decent throws a few times a game. I, I mean, I do agree with that to an extent. Like The whole passing game is broken. Pass pro, receivers, quarterback inconsistency. I just referenced Pro Football Focus still has ECU's receiving grade, pass catching, trying to make plays, getting open. They grade it all from the All-22 film. ECU ranks 133rd out of 133 FBS teams in receiving grade nine games into the season. So I think I think there's all sorts of issues that lead to that, but the receivers have missed some major opportunities to make plays. Um and Chase wants to know, what did we think of Mike Houston's comment about Tulane being 2-10 and 10 or whatever a few years ago and that we were on the brink of greatness? So I, I basically asked him, and he was asked about it during the week, but I, I asked him, you know, prior to every game, the head coaches get together and they talk at midfield. And I kind of said, hey, did, did you and Willie Fritz, the Tulane head coach, talk about what they went through a couple years ago and – you know, did you take anything from that? And he said a little bit, but it'll be more of an after-the-season thing. And Coach Houston kind of referenced they were left for dead a couple of years ago. They since turned around. I think there are some comparisons to be made there, but also some major differences. We could do a whole show on that alone. But, you know, you, you break it down for what it is. East Carolina, good defensively right now, very poor offensively. Maybe the worst offense we've seen at ECU in, in modern football. You know, all these games coming down to the fourth quarter, unable to make the play in a perfect world. If you retain the defense, the defensive staff, all this and build the offense, you really aren't that far away. But teams are so different now year to year. I don't know what you can bank on. Even if somebody is, is pretty tied into the program as I am, you never know what you're going to see as far as guys transferring in, transferring out. Coaches, if they get another opportunity, are they going to leave? I mean, there's so much that goes into it. I do think the culture, Philip, as we got about a minute left here, has shown the last few weeks to be pretty dang strong. I mean, this team is still fighting. I know people don't want to hear that when you're losing games, but I think the culture is there. I think the defense is there. So, like, it's fixable, but how much can you retain and then how much can you add in one offseason? Those are the questions I'm asking if I'm John Gilbert. Uh, you know, when I'm talking to Mike Houston, how fixable is this and how quickly can it be fixed? Yeah, and that's, like you said, that's the million-dollar question. Um, it, it's tough to, to straight up answer that. I think Tulane was in a much different situation than we are now. The good thing that does give me hope is the culture. You brought that up. Seems like everybody's still bought in for our connections inside the locker room. It sounds like everybody's still bought in. Unfortunately, I think part of the reason they were two and ten is Michael Pratt was playing with a bum shoulder, and they had their quarterback for sealed future. Remember when they were two and ten, they still have the same starting quarterback now. And on top of that, you know they were displaced because of the hurricane. So I think it's a much different situation than we're in right now. Yeah, definitely. Um much a uh, lot, lot of differences for sure and i guess if anything it does show you can turn it around quickly but you got to have the right pieces and it starts with uh you know retaining that defense and also finding some answers offensively so we'll continue to have these discussions we've, we've had them for just about every week this season it does feel like groundhog day after every one of these games but appreciate everybody calling in and commenting great stuff as always we'll be back tomorrow with more Hoists of Colors. We'll talk to you then. Basketball tonight. Enjoy it. 
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 the game.